Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to episode 44 of the Believe Knicks podcast. Matthew Miranda happily reunited like the end of Lord of the Rings with Stacey Patton, who has been on an odyssey of his own all over the globe, low these many weeks. Stacey, you've been all around the world. The people want to know how are you feeling right now? <laughs> uh, I can't find my star, I guess, been around the world. Uh, not doing the, you know, uh, time is time is very much a social construct these days. Mm-hmm. Um, at least that's how my my uh, circadian rhythms are at this point. But uh, mm-hmm. I'm getting better. So excellent. Some constructs hit harder than others. Um, <laughs> time being one of them. This is episode 44 of the next podcast. Um, for me, there can only ever be one number 44 with the Knicks, and that is Rochester legend. Greece Athena legend John Wallace, um, selected in the 1996 draft by the New York Knicks, the incredible draft where the Knicks had the 18th, 19th, and 21st picks, I think, and took three power forwards, none of whom lasted, in a draft where it was that was a Kobe draft, right? Kobe and I, and yep, but like late, Jermaine O'Neal went late, Steve Nash went late. Um, there were people all over that draft class, and the Knicks took. John Wallace. Big Z. They took Wallace and Walter McCarty. Big Z. And Dante Jones. So went at 20. Don't forget Dante Uh, Jones. (laughs) Yeah. Derek Fisher went 24th. Knicks ended up coming to the Knicks later on. But Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, future Nick ended up getting picked 30th of that draft. Othella Harrington. Othella Harrington. uh, It feels a little bit like just the draft where the Knicks didn't pick. Well, I mean. They were picking not high because they were good, but yeah, yeah. Jermaine O'Neal went a pick before Wallace. Uh, this is probably the best 13th through 15th of yeah, any draft it's ever. Really good, Kobe, Peja, and Steve Nash. Also, yep. like Kobe, obviously, legend, and then two of like the most fun players ever. That was a really key moment in the 90s because that was the summer that the Knicks they have just fired Nelson. They were transitioning from um, the Riley era to where they were going to head to next under Van Gundy. They brought in Larry Johnson and Alan Houston and Chris Childs that summer. And it was a real swing point in the 90s. And and the fact that they just completely whiffed on that draft, they they never really, in the 90s, they never had a shot again because they were always good. They had had struggled that year because that was the year that Nelson was there. They traded away some people. but man, they could have set themselves up nice if they had just landed a Stoyakovich or a Jermaine O'Neal. You add that to the '99 team, that could be something. Yeah, this is this is a crazy good draft. I mean, you rarely see a draft where like all of the top picks hit to an extent, yeah. but the top six um, were all hits. Like AI went first. Uh, Marcus Camby didn't make an All Star team, but obviously a very long and um, very productive career. Sharif Abdul Rahim, who's arguably had even more success after his after his playing career ended, um, becoming a like basically the guy at the NBA, uh, and then Marbury, Shuttlesworth, and uh, and Antoine Walker. So, pretty big top six. Uh, I think I remember this was the first draft I actually ever watched. Um, oh yeah. So. Yeah, and I um, so I grew up a Syracuse fan. My dad went there, so I remember actually being pretty excited about John Wallace going to the Knicks. So. 
Oh, yeah. Up here, people were going crazy. I remember the name John Wallace since I was in high school. And <coughs> he had a great tournament with Syracuse, like really carried them, um, I think, to the final to four the final, yeah. to Kentucky. Um, yeah. A loaded Kentucky team. But people were going crazy about John Wallace. He could score, man. That dude could score. What's funny, <laughs> this is one of those, to me, signs of how different things are now. The idea that a team today would trade a number two pick two years into his career, basically for Charles Oakley, and it wasn't a team that was like on the cusp of a title and just needed a Charles Oakley. Like it's really bizarre in retrospect that the Raptors traded Marcus Camby going after his second season in the league, not for a bunch of picks, not for a great young player, for Charles Oakley. Yeah. It's it's you would never see something like that today. And Camby wasn't by far in Toronto. He wasn't a bust. He just wasn't maybe what they thought he would be. But he wasn't, you know, Anthony Bennett. No, he was a very good defensive player. I mean, he, the number it's like um, like for the number it's it's a little like maybe Lonzo's not the best comp, but Lonzo was the number two pick in the draft and was hyped, mm-hmm. and you know went ahead of some other guys. And he's had a good career but probably not quite what you'd want from... Like, he's probably never going to make an all-star game, right? Which, ultimately, you'd probably want from the number two pick. So, Camby's in that vein. And also, like, very impactful in defense. Mm -hmm. But, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, and in college, I remember he was a college player of the year. He was, in many ways, the player that kind of put Calipari on the map. Yep. Um, Camby and Lou Rowe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, today, we're not going to talk much more about the 90s. We're going to talk about today basically um if you haven't heard the big news donovan mitchell will not be in new york nick it turns out that donovan mitchell will be leaving for the bright lights of cleveland ohio the cavaliers and the jazz agreed to a trade cleveland is sending colin sexton who's gonna i guess sign and sign and extend with utah um their pick this year and then larry markinen Three unprotected first-round picks and two that are protected, I think. Or two swaps. Two pick swaps. Um, it's a big deal. I don't really care about the Cavs right now. I wanna, I'm want i curious what your reaction was when you heard this went down because I have been wondering in all the weeks of build-up to Mitchell of the Knicks, I kept wondering what am I going to feel the day that a deal happens, whether he's coming to New York or whether he goes somewhere. And I had a very clear emotional feeling today when i saw the news but i'm curious what your first thought was when you saw okay it's done he's going to the Cavs for that package um can you say that again sorry what was your first feeling or vibe when you saw all right it's done and it's cleveland with that package not the knicks yeah i mean they're limited in the picks they can offer um so my first thought was like did they do the unthinkable um my first very knee jerk was like, there's no way they offered Mobley, right? Obviously not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, then you think, do they offer Garland? Um, you know, they, they, I mean, you have to look, we can get into uh, the spoiler is I'm not crying. Um, I just saw it. We were just talking before the pod started about how we generally feel like the reaction even from writers has been pretty, you know, sanguine on the Knicks, not really clowning them. But uh, just as we were saying that, 
I came across a Stephen A. video, and um, it's I didn't turn the volume on, but you don't need you never really need to turn the volume on for <laughs> Stephen A. videos. Um, but other than that, um, but uh, I think that it wasn't necessarily a loss for the Knicks, but I think it is a win for the Cavs, um, and and you know probably the Jazz too. But um, you know I think that um, when it came out, I was a little bit surprised because I thought they they probably make an overpay. It didn't seem like the kind of overpay that um, that the Wolves made. Yeah, but there were parallels to that move, right? The Wolves paid for Rudy Gobert, uh, a player who's on the wrong side of thirty. Uh, is is he thirty one or is he twenty nine? Um, I think he's, he's right he's around twenty nine, Yeah, he's thirty years old. So um, you know, and and his seven footer. Um, Obviously, an elite defensive player worth probably on his own double-digit wins in the regular season. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, you know, the Wolves really compromised a lot of their flexibility. But they, they were betting on the fact that they have potentially a generational player in Anthony Edwards, right? And there's levels to these kinds of guys. The Knicks have a guy like RJ who, at his peak, might make a, a, a couple of all-star games, maybe more than a couple. Mm-hmm but probably isn't that perennial all-NBA top 10 type of guy. Um, you have maybe a, a tier above that, guys like Trey Young or John Morant. And then you have guys like Anthony Edwards or Evan Mobley, where the word generational does get thrown around with these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you have that kind of guy in your small market, you have kind of the license to overpay in a way that the Knicks didn't. Um, and the Cavs have Evan Mobley, uh, and and I mean I, I think it it worked out really well for them because you know even when everyone thought the Knicks were gonna get Mitchell, the big worry was well now you're starting Brunson and Mitchell together, you know how do you construct a good defense around that? Um, you, the Cavs we'll see if the Cavs can make good on this right. It's not a given that this makes it up, but. Um, you know the uh, you know the fact that they have Jared Allen and Evan Mobley in the front court. If there was a defense you wanted to construct that could make up for those two guys, that would be it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's gonna be a formidable team, um, and they gave up a sizable package. They basically cannot do anything with their draft picks for. They have a twenty-five, twenty-seven, and twenty-nine. Uh, I think twenty-nine was a bit of a sticking point for the Knicks. Um, obviously, if you're trading a player like Donovan Mitchell, you'd want your picks to your getting back to be farther out because he's likely to make the team competitive for the next few years. Um, but the Cavs, again, they have a 20-year-old. Um, this is an overused phrase, but if there's anyone who applies to, it is Evan Mobley. So they probably had a little bit more um, you know, willingness to make that, to give those picks up. Um, you know, they gave up Colin Sexton who signed with Utah for, for $72 million. You know, he's, I mean, he's a really good player. Four for 72. Yes, he's coming off an injury. Yes, he hasn't really played on a winning team, but, um, you know, there was value there. Lowry Marketing looked good last year. Is on a reasonable deal. Uh, you know, that's probably more valuable than, like, you know, Evan Fournier that was used as a salary filler. And then Ocha Jagby, who's, you know, um, you know, probably equivalent to one or two, you know, if you think about the fact that he went 15th, the Knicks got three protected picks for their 11th pick. He probably matches somewhere close to that value. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, 
so all in all, it seems fair. I do think that um, the package the Knicks would have had to give up. Well, the package that they were rumored to be asked for, I think, is was a lot more than that. But even if they give up the equivalent of that package, it would have been something like Grimes, those three picks, and probably Obi as well, as well as two swaps, right? And those picks probably would have had to be farther out than, than maybe they wanted, right? Maybe if it was 24, 26, 28 versus 25, 27, 29, you know, those can be kind of some of the sticking points. So. I kind of like it for Cleveland. I'm, I'm very interested to see how they adapt after playing such a distinct style last season. And you're basically, you're not basically, you're replacing your third seven-footer, which gave them a particular look on defense that worked really well, with a total non-shooter who's a brilliant perimeter defender in Okoro. I love Okoro, but it is an enormous stylistic difference to replace Lowry Markinen alongside two seven-footers with Isaac Okoro. Um, I think defensively it could still work because I think that can protect uh, Mitchell and Garland even more because not only do you have two brilliant seven-foot big men, but you have a guy in Okoro who every night will take on the best perimeter player on the other team. So I think it can work, but I'm, I'm – and I think Cleveland gave up – in terms of personnel – Maybe less than I thought that they would, I, but I guess it's still kind of in the same range of what we were hearing with the Knicks, where they wanted, you know, some young players and Sexton and Agbaji um, are similar to I don't know Grimes and Obi. Or the last thing I saw today online was that the Knicks' final offer was RJ quickly and two, I think, unprotected firsts and maybe some other stuff. So for Cleveland, I think it's worth it, and I think the draft pick gamble is worth it for them too because. I think a team that is not a free agent draw has to be more aggressive in trades when they have the chance to get someone like Donovan Mitchell. So for Cleveland, I like it. When I I got home and did I had no I had no idea of what was going on. Um, I told I, I told Stacy in the in the green room before the show that I opened my Twitter messages and a friend of the pod, Joe Flynn from Posting and Toasting, had written to me asking if I wanted to write a reaction piece, and I had just written one two days ago. So I'm checking my messages like really intricately wondering, am I reading the wrong day? Like, did he send the same message? I had no idea. Once I saw what the trade was, I felt fine. I didn't feel upset. I didn't feel at all like we missed out on a on a, an opportunity that you can't pass up. I think the Knicks were, I think Ainge was holding out for someone just like with the Timberwolves who had an exceptionally strong need to trade for a star because they can't get one really any other way. And I don't think the Knicks are in that boat. So I like the young players. I think given what we saw from pretty much all of them last season, you can be confident this year that at least some of them will improve even more. And then that may improve. Great. So you plug them in or they become better trade assets the next time star player X is available. But I'm not bothered about this at all. And I like Donovan Mitchell. But I don't feel like the Knicks missed a, a can't miss thing here at all. Yeah, I mean, it's there is a lot of complications when they did sign Brunson. Um, so you already have. I, I don't think Brunson is as good as Donovan Mitchell, but you have signed now a sub six three six two shot make shot creator. Um. Some of their best players are also guards, right? Um, quickly, uh, Grimes is you know like they've played Grimes at the three, probably not 
really a three. You know, RJ on this team is a three because they have so many guards, but he's another guy you give minutes to at the at the three. Uh, so I mean, the the what they really need is is a wing, right? I mean, the the ideal trade targets would be guys like Tatum or Jalen Brown. Uh, not if to say Cam Reddish were be... available or a player like that. <laughs> well, that's a that's a whole other story. Um, but you know, it was like there's reason like Donovan Mitchell is the star that they needed, but in terms of a fit, um. So at that point, you would say, well, is Donald Mitchell so good that he just transforms your team? Is he transformative? And I would say depending on what you gave up potentially. But um, I think, you know, the the Knicks – so we'll get to this in a second. But based on what they would have had to give up, I don't think that that would have made the Knicks immediately better. And if they give up three firsts, that really hamstrings – because it's not just that you have three fewer firsts. It's you cannot trade picks in subsequent years, right? So they likely would not have been able to trade a pick until 2029, 2031, depending on what those picks actually were. So they're left with very little flexibility. Uh, and Cleveland is left with very little flexibility. The difference is they have Evan Mobley and Darius Garland, and the Knicks don't. Um, so I do think where, where – so I think, you know, the narrative is he's at a paint that you know, the Knicks, Knicks believe in their young guys – the Knicks uh, are willing to wait for the right star. Um, but then you do find out that the Knicks did offer RJ and IQ and two unprotected picks. And that was close to getting done. Um, this is according to Evan, I think it's Sidery uh, or Sidery. Apologies on the pronunciation, but verified guy. Um, the third pick the Knicks would have had to give up. Utah wanted to be unprotected. The Knicks wanted top five protection, and that was kind of where it fell apart. That's really close to getting done. And if they're willing to include RJ and IQ, that third pick, I, I, that is important that they were sticklers on that because um, you know that does kind of uh, you know having that in your back pocket if things go bad, um, especially if I'm assuming that was the the farthest pick down the line, uh, makes sense. But it does, you know, that, that to me is like, how sold are they on this young talent? Um, and then, so that's what it really comes down to. It's like, we missed on a guy who is perfect for a team that already has other potential stars in place. So, and we don't. Um, the, Knicks, the Knicks do not have an, a, a star on that level. Um, there are some who will say RJ is, is reaching that. I don't think he's there yet. And even in terms of his potential, I don't see him as a, a Mobley type guy. Yeah. Um, Randall, we'll see, but I, I, I don't think there are some people I think who really were high on the Julius Randall and Donald Mitchell pairing. I wasn't. Um, not to say I was necessarily as low as on it as other people, but I, I, I don't think they necessarily. We're not talking Stockton Malone at that point. Mm. Um. So, um, you know, you get it. But then the question is, you know, okay, so what what now, right? Um, if you value these guys, it's been reported that Grimes was viewed as untouchable by the Knicks, right? They were even willing to include RJ and IQ, but they refused to That was fascinating to, to me that that was the guy who was untouchable throughout. Yeah, and, and part of that might be contract, right? RJ obviously just right. got paid. Quickly is a year closer to getting paid. <sighs> Fine. Um so I and I get it, and Grimes has shown quite a bit. Very, he, he's a guy you can see with his versatility on defense as well as his shooting. Guy you can slot into basically any team and contribute. 
Um, probably a slightly better fit with Mitchell than quickly. But now that you've valued these guys like this, you have to play them, right? Um, and, and that goes with OB2. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see, do they trade Derrick Rose, right? If, you, if, you, if you're keeping quickly and you value him highly enough where you're saying, if we're including him, we're not going to three-round protected first. Mm-hmm. Are you keeping Rose? And then if you do, you know, it's quickly just basically relegated to backup minutes at the two. If you keep Randall, is Obi just once again relegated to backup minutes? Um, I mean, there's. I would assume Grimes has to be starting at this point over Fournier if they valued him this highly. But yeah. we need to see that happen, right? Um, and so it's. I think the biggest frustration is the Knicks feel like they're still in this holding pattern. Um, and I think as fans, we do have to be clear. It's like, are we? Are we annoyed because there isn't a clear direction just for the sake of having a direction? Or do we really think this is costing us, right? Did we miss on... So I think that that restlessness, it's good that the Knicks don't have that, but it's understandable that fans would. You you do want to just be able to say, all right, this is what we're going to war with for the next couple of years. Um, but with rookies, you know, it's tough because you don't even know if you can get attached. So all, all of those are considerations. Ultimately, it's not a disaster to not make this move. This wasn't a guy that was bringing you a title or like the Knicks are not irrelevant at this point. They were they won 39 games last year uh, or 37. They're two years removed from being a four seed. They added Jalen Brunson. This wasn't like a move they had to make. But there is still some um, uncertainty into what, what this roster, like wh- where are we going? You know, mm-hmm. it feels like there's there's and quickly and Rose were really good together two years ago. Um, so, like, I think they can play, especially as as IQ has improved. But it does feel like there's one. It's like a, if they pulled one piece out, a lot of things would fall into place. And I don't know which piece that is yet or how they get rid of it. it does, I mean, it seems the most obvious would be Randall. Because if you could move Randall, I feel like you open up minutes for Cam Reddish. You open up, I think, a role. I don't think ultimately R.J. Barrett and Julius Randall have ever made sense as a pair together. I think they're a little too redundant in ways that hurts R.J.'s development. So Randall's the obvious, well, if you could move him. But like it's not easy to move him. You know, his value is very low right now. So the other move you look to make, I figure that it, it has to be a guard, right? Because they're not... They're not really stacked in the front court. Um, I don't know who that guard would be, but it still feels to me like like you're saying. I'm glad the Knicks didn't make this move. I'm proud of them on, in the sense that their default too often, not just this is an adult thing. This is a Knicks franchise DNA thing. The Knicks are so often content to just do whatever it takes to get the biggest name or best player in the deal, and like that's it, and it never leads to anything. I'm proud of them and this front office again presented with an opportunity to do something stupid, did not do it, and I think has left the team in a better position going into next offseason than if they if they had made that deal, if they had traded Barrett and quickly and, you know, the two unprotecteds and, and whatever, the third, top five or whatever, and the swaps, and they ring in Mitchell. I don't know that 12 months from now we're feeling like, all right, you know, it's it's on, here we come. I feel much better. I feel more excited. And I know this, this you can play this back in a year and it'll sound ridiculous, but I feel more excited about, 
I think quickly is on to something. I think Obi is on to something. I don't know. You know, RJ, I would bet is more likely to be a one-time all-star than a two or three-time all-star, but I don't care because I feel like I trust the organization enough at this point that this isn't to me same old. This isn't Steve Mills screwing this up. This isn't Phil Jackson screwing this up. This is someone who has, has to me, looked pretty in control since he's been in charge. And even though last season was a disappointment, I don't generally feel that it was like a failure of Leon Rose necessarily. So I feel okay. I'm very excited. If they had lost quickly in Barrett, I don't know. Does that sound crazy? Like, how would you have felt if that deal goes through, do you think? RJ, IQ. I I mean, it would have been tough to stomach. Um, I think that if the Knicks were able to get Mitchell, the reason I understand why they did is that if you give it up for only two picks, you do have flexibility going forward. Yeah. But it would have felt a lot like we're betting on Donovan Mitchell and and Julius Randle. That's the thing, Um, yeah. And I, I mean, and I'm not even, I'm, I'm, I'm probably not too far from you in terms of how I view Randall. I think there's people who are saying, well, you have to move him because he's not going to fit with Brunson. He needs the ball in his hands. Uh, he's not going to be able to, like, I, I, like the, the Randall and Obi conversation, that is one I'm, I'm over. Um, I think every 95% of the takes I see, I just disagree with horribly. Um, in terms of the anti-Randall people, I think the idea that he can't be effective is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that if you're starting Brunson, and especially if they had traded for Mitchell, you'd ideally want more defense at the four and more length. And while I think Randall has it in him to be a great defender, we, like at this point, you can't bet on it. Given yeah. what we've seen in his career, it's been too, even the even 2020, he mm-hmm. was good as a def, like he was solid as defender. He wasn't massively impactful. Um, so there's, you know, that, but, but I think that will he, do I think he can like, just, if he's told to just stop the, first of all, stop the pump fake bullshit. Like people talk about Randall being selfish. Like the, the most infuriating thing is when he passes up a wide open jump shot yeah. and then takes two dribbles and then takes a contested one. It's like, yes, no, I'm not mad. You shot that. I'm, well, I'm mad. You shot that. Yes, but I'm also mad you passed on the one that was was open, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you just tell them your space on the floor, you're rolling, and then when you get a mismatch, you get a small guy on you, or you get a slow guy on you, you just put your head down and get to the rim. But you're not going to dance with guys. You're not going to like try to do too much, uh, and your post ups are going to be pretty limited. Like I think he's fine in that role. I think he'd be efficient. Um, do I think he'll be worth twenty six million dollars? No, but I, I don't think like him. Like there are people who I think are like if he's on the roster, it's a disaster next year. I wouldn't go that far. On the other hand, people who say you cannot trade him, or you know, like he has to play over Obi, they say th- they focus very much on the fact that Obi can't create his own shot. I've seen things like Obi is just a dunker. I had, the most ridiculous thing I saw was someone say that Randall's a better passer, and you know they're just going by assists per game. By assists, I, I mean, yeah, which is like. Yep. Russell Westbrook has averaged more assists per game for his entire career than Steph Curry. Uh-huh. I don't think he's in Steph Curry's league as a passer mm-hmm. um, because there's so much more to it. Mm-hmm. Quick decision-making, there's hockey assists, all those kind of things, which Obi is, is terrific at. He, Obi is a case for one of the best passers on the team. Um, 
And I think it just yeah. drastically underestimates. The, like the thing is, like Randall is better at creating his own shot. But if you have Brunson, you have Barrett. I, I would even put Emmanuel quickly in that conversation at this point. You have all of these guys. What you need from that position is a guy who can accentuate them. Like the like Randall can create his own shot, but he's not efficient when he's in that role. So do you want him doing that? And if you don't, then it comes down to all right, how well can he play off ball? And we haven't seen him have the movement or passing that Obi has. So I think just t- talking about Obi's limitations as a shot creator just missed the point. But to, barring that, I think um, Randall being on the the floor next year shouldn't be a disaster for the team's performance. It's less than ideal given Obi's value and maximizing that, as well as the fact that you're paying $26 million to Randall for product that probably doesn't elevate your team to that level. Um so um, you know we'll see we'll, we'll we'll see what happens, but um, th- there does need to be some cleanup. So I, uh, having said all that, like I'm not I I'm not going to be crying or, or I think it's a disaster for Andos on the roster. But realistically, it seems like that's the best way to get value out of this. Um, you know the uh, in terms of backcourt, I think that what's going to happen quickly is interesting. There's been rumbles that. He, his camp wasn't thrilled with his role last year. Uh, if Rose is healthy again and they have Brunson and Grimes starts, um, you know, what is Quickly's role? Does he, does he, is he going to get to be able to ascend to 25, 30 minutes? Can he get that Jordan Poole type role next year? I don't know. Um, but Rose, Fournier, and Randall seem like guys who, if we're moving, into the youth movement, guys who you have to question whether they're why they're here, and if we're if we're trying to compete while still developing the youth and toe that line for the third year in a row, that's fine. Um, I think that can work with Rose for sure. Um, I can see Fournier having a role, but it would have to be more limited. I just don't see I don't see Randall elevating their playoff chances enough where it'd be worth it to. Uh, you know, potentially keep Obi again under under wraps um, for the most part for the year. So um, I agree with you. There's a lot of excitement. I think the way the team finished out last year, it can be really fun. They were legitimately showed the ability to blow out teams that were that were very talented. Those that Miami game, that Clippers game, those come to mind, and those are really on the backs of the young guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, but the front office needs to to define the roles a little bit better. I think RJ is a clearly defined role. I don't know what their vision is for OB. I don't know what their vision is for IQ. Um, so I think RJ and Grimes have defined roles. The rest of the young guys, you have talent, and I think they want to keep their options open in terms of what they can do with that. But for me to say I'm excited about next year, I'd have to see what they're going to do with that. But I think that there's a lot of talent, and, um, you know, it... it if, if ultimately I'm more excited about this and where it can go than you know talking myself into a Donovan Mitchell Julius Randall combo because I think yeah. that's what it probably would have ended up being. Are you excited about the RJ Barrett contract extension? This happened a, few, a little earlier in the week. Um, there was a Monday deadline. The Knicks gave Barrett a four-year extension after this season. This season he makes about ten million. Then it's four years, 107 million, with the opportunity to get it up, uh, depending on all NBA um, and honors and stuff, up to 120 million. I feel this is 
a good move. I feel it's fair money. I was very afraid that the Knicks were going to either overpay Barrett um, just because he's he's very well liked and he's good, like he's a good player. Um, and teams will sometimes overpay good. I think it's a really good deal. I think it's a. I think it's a. I think, and all the talk when the story dropped because of how Woj framed it. The RJ extension was immediately subjugated behind the Mitch, how this related to the Mitchell deal. So the Knicks really didn't get, I think, the props that they would have gotten if the story of the day had only been RJ Barrett, four-year extension, for basically what they're paying Jalen Brunson. And I know this question was with efficiency, but I mean, when you saw that, I'll ask you again, like, what was your first visceral response to seeing the details of the RJ extension in and of itself. Forget what, how it might relate to Mitchell. Yeah, I mean, they said up to 120, which I was like, what does up to mean? Turns out it was about four for 107, which, um, he, I mean, yeah, like, I don't think even RJ's biggest fans are going to say he's 100%. Maybe some people would. Is he worth $25, 26000000 million based on who he was last season? No. We've seen him improve every year. Um, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit. The guy has – some of the lowest-hanging fruit is his free throws, right? He's still shooting 69 70%, but he, he shot 75% the, in 2020. If he just gets up to league average with how often he gets to the line, um, you know, that's um, – that's pretty good. Uh, that's going to be he has that right. Um, they should um, they should be able to get more out of um, him as a finisher. He's really bad right around the rim. He has the tools to be better at that. Um, he was starting to flash a pull up three point game. He needs to add a mid range game. Um, and also, like as his talent, he's looked much better as a playmaker when he's played with talent than when he was. Uh, you know, a, a lot of times his tunnel vision had to do with who he was passing to without naming any names. I think that when he's played with, you know, quickly or even Fournier in the corner, he's been a much more willing passer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's there, there like it's not hard to picture him as the third best player on a really good team. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's worth 20. I mean, those teams like they they're willing to pay that kind of money for a guy like that, right? You look at the impact. This is probably an overused comp because they're not the same player, but you look at the impact that Andrew Wiggins had, you know, as that kind of role, and he is Wiggins. paid that kind of money in Golden State, and that's what you see, right? Super strong guy. I mean, RJ Ceiling. Most people like to talk about Jimmy Butler. <coughs> um, Jimmy Butler as a just foul magnet is absurd, um, and and always has been. His freshman year uh, at um, at Marquette, Jimmy Butler actually had a free throw rate of over one, <laughs> which means that he drew more. He had more free throws than field goal attempts. That was on a low sample size, but even like his last few years, he was like 0.87. Yeah. So that means he basically gets free throws as often as he takes shots. RJ Barrett is not that, but he is really good at drawing fouls. He's strong like Jimmy Butler. I think he can probably get into that league as a defender. Um, and um, and he's probably going to be a better outside shooter. So all in all, like, it's tough not – and I mean, and I, you know, this cannot be the main consideration. Um, but it is, the, it is good to get the monkey off the back in terms of the Charlie Ward curse. Uh, and, you know – Mitchell Robinson was technically a second round pick, so that doesn't count. But, uh, and, you know, 
some people count Tim Hardaway Jr., but he did leave for the Hawks, so that's <laughs> probably Jr. not the, the Grover Cleveland of New York yeah. stars. <laughs> that's a, that is a hell of a reference. <laughs> um, so I mean, it's important to get that off, and I mean, it's a cult. I mean, this front office is hanging its hat on culture, right? That's why you you do accept a lot of the frustrating things with Tibbs because. Even at the worst times, you could always count on this team to give 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, it's important for those reasons. And, and I mean, he's, he's a great – I mean, this guy bleeds orange and blue. Um, he embraced coming to the Knicks in a way that others haven't. Um, he's uh, a tone setter in that locker room. Everyone likes him. He's built relationships across the NBA. I, I think someone has tweeted this out, but – if you look at, you know, he went to Montverde Academy, which is a legendary high school that's produced a ton of talent, guys like Kate Cunningham, guys like Scotty Barnes. Um, so he has those relationships. He plays on the Canadian national team. He's pretty much universally respected among his peers. Um, you know, just consummate professional. Um, you know, obviously you pay for what you can do on the floor. But those things matter too. So um, overall, it's tough to view that move as anything but a slam dunk. Will he live up to that contract? I don't know, but it is only four years. Um, the the cap is going to go up with the TV deal, um, so it's not. Um, he would really have to stagnate or even regress for this to not to be a deal that ultimately makes this a bad contract. I think if it stays at one hundred seven and it's a traditional like escalator where it's like 23 25 27 29 rj barrett making 29 million in 2026 i know the Knicks are not on golden state's level but wiggins made 31 million last year rj making 26 is in years from now is totally cool totally fine i also feel about kind of following along to what you were saying about the front office it's not a huge thing like a lot of organizations actually every other organization would has not ever been in a position where they have to break a charlie ward curse that's like uniquely nicks but i feel like when leon rose and Thibodeau got here it was like this sad ass school with like a not only an empty trophy case but like the glass was kind of broken and like it was disheveled and it's not you know uh, who wins a lot of titles in college it's not alabama football trophy case but there's a you get a little Kid trophy Kentucky. for, yeah, Kentucky, perfect. Kentucky's got Kentucky. They got a little little ass trophy, and it says, you know, for signing your own first round pick to an extension. It's not a huge thing, but it is. I, I really have taken this off season as building my confidence that the front office, I mean, the front office had to do things this off season to get me to feel like, all right, I'm comfortable the way I was a couple of years ago. And I'm pretty close to that. Because the things that trouble yeah. the Knicks, I don't think are management related. Yeah, and I mean, look, we're, we're also skating over the fact that whatever you think about Randall, right? Um, they added Jalen Brunson. He's a really good player. Like, Jalen Brunson is their best free agent signing since... Um, I mean, he's the most notable one since Randall. Um. But before that, he probably, in my opinion, the best free agent signing since like Tyson Chandler. Is that fair to say? Uh, and yeah, we've kind of skated over that with this 
all this Mitchell hand hand wringing, right? So yeah, I well, let's get to the really the most important topic of the day, which is Stacy tweeted earlier a photo of the Houston Rocket. Uh, how do how to describe this one? How would you describe the jersey that you that you posted that picture? It's of? It's navy blue, which is my favorite color. Uh, even before uh, it was the college of my color, or it was the color of my color. <laughs> you had to go to sleep. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, the uh, with the you know kind of blue, light blue, not quite pinstripes, but like the little dashes, uh, and then it has a missile, a, a rocket on it with like an like a face, um, and and like the red trim. Uh, and I thought it was those. I mean, I like most of the '90s jerseys. Jerseys were probably something I paid more of attention to as a kid, and that's when I got into it all. I loved the '90s Magic jerseys. Um, I loved the '90s Raptors jerseys, but that Rockets one might be my favorite. And Matt did not agree. Not at all. So these are the, if you want to you know look it up, they're like '96, '97, probably when Barkley was there, Elijahman was there. I think Pippen played in them a little bit too. So it's probably in that era. Um, I so the '90s were, as everyone who was there knows, a very interesting fashion time. Some of it was really hot and has persisted to this day. Like in all the sports, the Charlotte Hornets often like look pretty hot. The stuff they do on their court looks really good. They did like this honeycomb thing last year that was dope. In the '90s, Charlotte Hornet gear was like the hottest. Orlando, you know, Orlando had beautiful. Um, clean the, the black jersey with the pinstripes, like beautiful, beautiful jerseys in the nineties. The first jersey I ever had, um, I think I still have it. I put it on like a few years ago. It was like a, a midriff kind of thing, <laughs> uh, but it was a Penny Hardaway uh, nice. early nineties. Which 90s what, which jersey. color? Light blue. Yeah, those light are pretty, blue okay. star and all that. Uh-huh. Yeah, that and was- I, I mean. But, and some of these teams, it's also like these teams were really cool, right? Like Larry Johnson was super cool in the Larry 90s, Johnson right? Awesome. Um, obviously, I think everyone loved the Magic because Shaq was larger than life and Penny was a just super likable player. Um, I like the Sonics jerseys with the, um, you know, the dark green with the like kind of that, um, that reddish trim. Yeah. Uh, and they were cool yeah. too, so. Like 96 Sonic kind of. Frank Burkowski look. I was really rooting for them in that finals, man. Uh, <laughs> oh, I was too. Well, you know what's weird? That, <laughs> I was such a nerd about like always wanting to hold the Knicks in the highest possible esteem. So I remember kind of being pissed at the Bulls. Like I rooted against Seattle the whole series because the Knicks had been the only team in the league to beat the Bulls counting playoffs twice that season. They they crushed them once in the regular season by like 37 on a Sunday, and they won, I believe, game three of the second round of their first round, second round series for Chicago. So I wanted Seattle to get to get swept because I wanted the Knicks to be the only team that had beaten this incredible Chicago, you know, monster twice. Like the Knicks would be an answer to trivia. So I'm really against Seattle, who I otherwise like. And when they won game four, I was really annoyed. And then once they won game five, I was like hardcore rooting for the Sonics because now they had it. It didn't matter. And if Gary Payton had played Jordan from game one of that series, it really could have changed a lot of people's narratives and careers and places. Gary Payton 
it wasn't about stopping Jordan, but it changed so many things in that series as soon as he started guarding him. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, I mean, it was... Uh, I mean, he was hurt, right? So that's why they tried to avoid it early on. I think so, yeah. But then he, like, insisted at the end. and So whatever. They had beautiful jerseys also. Um, Gary Payton, most known for getting his ass kicked by Stacey Patton in a legendary... One on one scene. Shout out. Shout out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is a very interesting scene. Uh Anthony Mason is in that scene. Yeah. Um and then uh the driver is um if you're familiar with Asif Manvi. I don't know. Oh yes, know. I love him. Yeah, but this was like he was the the limo driver. Shout out racial stereotypes. <laughs> um, uh, for for Stacy Patton in that, and it was before anyone knew who he was. So great scene, great one on one game between Gary Payton and uh, R.I.P. Malik Sealy. So you were being, so the Rocket jersey was up there for you. Yeah, I mean, I love the colors. Um, I liked the Rocket. Yeah. Uh, also, a very cool team. Uh, I remember I had like um, I used to go to daycare, well, not daycare, but like after school. Yeah. Um. And, you know, we always used to play sports. And one of the counselors was a huge Houston Rockets fan. And he loved Hakeem Olajuwon. Like, my parents would have to work. So there would be times when I would, like, just get picked up really late. And he'd always play one-on-one with me. And then one time, like, uh, (laughs) he was blocking all my shots. And he was like, I'm getting a quadruple. I didn't know what a quadruple double was before (laughs) then. He was like, I'm getting quadruple double like Hakeem. Like Hakeem. That's so dope. I It was... It was difficult in the 90s to, like, I hated the Bulls, like, no team I had ever hated in my life in any sport. Like, hated them. Do you hate Mike, too? I I did then. Now it's kind of impossible to, because now he's just the totality of Michael Jordan. I hated him in the 90s, but I, I didn't hate him like, I wouldn't boo him. Um, it was more like... He's not Julius Randle. <laughs> in many ways he is not um, like you couldn't I was thinking of this last night when I was watching uh, Serena Williams and, and my my mind went right to Michael Jordan actually when I was watching it and when they played his last Bulls game when he hit the shot against Utah I was in like an Applebee's with my girlfriend at the time and I remember like it was like a commercial where the restaurant was, was like packed and there's like a number of TVs and everybody it's not a Everyone there is not a sports fan. Like there's families there. There's all kinds of social nuclei around there. And as Jordan is going out, like every single person is watching it. You can't take your eye off of like this kind of, of person. Serena Williams to me was like that. Like she was the kind of athlete that just when you put it on and you see her, like if there was a intergalactic tennis federation above Earth, like she would play in that federation and she'd be fine like she she she's a magnetic visual you know everything uh i can't remember what i was starting this point about good lord you have jet lag and i'm making less sense than you <laughs> there was some reason oh michael jordan oh so serena williams like it doesn't matter to some extent she is such obvious greatness that like it doesn't matter what i think about her like i i the experience of watching her is different than almost any other tennis not any 
over every athlete I've seen besides Michael Jordan. But Jordan in the 90s was that same way where, like, it almost didn't matter what you thought. I hated him because he was in the way of my team. But he was such a, like, really revered as, a, like, a demigod that watching him play, like, if you were into hoops, like, Michael Jordan was God. And it doesn't matter what you think of God. Like, God, you might get pissed about it. Like, you might be upset about it, but, like, God's going to do what God's going to do, and that's what Michael Jordan was, and that's what he did. But what killed me in the 90s, <clears throat> their, their uniforms, were their road uniforms were beautiful. Like, beautiful. The black ones are in there. The red and black. Well, not the not the black, just the red with the, the traditional red with, like, oh, the, yeah, yeah. they were the shorts. They were beautiful. <clears throat> I could never buy them. I hated the Bulls so much, but like that, I love. That's like one of my favorite colors. Like it was hard to grow up in. The, I still have. I have never owned a pair of Nikes, a pair of Nikes in my life, because initially it's because it was Michael Jordan, and then I got into like the ethical reasons. But I've never owned a pair of Nikes because I couldn't. If the Bulls in the ninety in in nineteen ninety three, if the Bulls had offered the Knicks Michael Jordan straight up for John Starks, I would have said no. <laughs> I wanted to win with the Nick. I want you know you want to win with your guys, but it's now like if Kyrie got offered for no, it's not like that. If Kyrie got <laughs> offered for IQ, I'd probably say no too. So. <laughs> yeah, but that's see that's smart. That's that's, that's a wise decision. <laughs> um, favorite, I think my favorite nineties jersey was uh, Seattle. I mean, it was so be- it was so beautiful. The one the. The green ones they would the wear. Dark green. I like the dark green better than the '80s one. I think that's a little bit unpopular, but mm. um, dark like that '96 nice. one was yeah. my favorite. I do like the earlier ones. I like like the Sean Kemp, like the Dallas Trump ones, or no, Derek McKee. Um, they also had the floor, like that dark green floor. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, like that was that like in the red trim. I thought that was just like a cool. You know what? I realized I'm totally biased against that rocket jersey that you like because it dropped the same time that they changed their home court design and it looked like someone spilled paint like all over the floor. It was like this kind of abstract. I found that so hideous that I think I just I associate the jerseys with that floor and like I hate it because in and of itself, when you describe the jersey and I went back and looked at it like it's not the jersey, but I think it's something with that. That bizarre decision. Um, yeah. It's also cool teams that had, especially when I was a kid, mascots that were educational. Like, I I learned about the fact that there's a space center in Houston. Because I was like, Dad, why are Houston called the Rockets, right? Mm-hmm. But if I asked him the same question about the Lakers, he wouldn't have a fucking clue, right? <laughs> um, so, <laughs> you know, maybe that's why, uh, you know. Um, but, uh or even like the Steelers, like I remember the Pittsburgh Steelers in the Super Bowl, and I was like, "Why aren't they stealing the ball?" And like, well, that's not what the name means. So that's very funny. It's very cute, actually. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I I think the '90s are where jerseys peak. I think the Grizzlies were super cool. Like, they were uh, those, and but like I feel like. Jerseys are just so unimaginative now. Like, if you don't like that night, like the Rockets jersey has been that red and white thing forever. Yep. Unimaginative. Yep. Um, I fucking hate Brooklyn's jerseys beyond the fact that I hate Brooklyn. The Nets, not. Brooklyn. You know what's the funny city. with the Nets? I, I was just thinking this right before we did the show, actually. They're, the Nets, every time they wear like a throwback jersey, like I love 
the net years when they had the logo that literally said it said the words New Jersey Nets in it and there was a picture of New yeah. Jersey. Like I think it's just because of childhood association. Like to me, that's the hottest net look. Like that, or the one they're wearing this year is their city uniform where it's like the Dr. J um it's like red, white, and blue, and there's like I think two stars going up it. They're so hot because like there's something in it. I hate the only thing I'll say for the net uniforms, I, I used to be like I used to hate them completely. I still do. But one thing I've realized, I don't think this is their intent. If you watch a game in Brooklyn on a really nice TV and the Nets are playing like the Lakers or the Bulls or the Celtics or any team that has like a a clear, solid color scheme, against that floor and against the Nets, all colors pop to me like much more. Like basketball aside, just on a visual level, having no color anywhere in that world at all makes certain teams really pop and look beautiful. Yeah. Um, I'll agree with that. Uh, I do think the Nets should make like a bagel part of their logo. Um, because that is <laughs> what Brooklyn is known for. Yeah. And it would also represent the number of fans they have. Mm-hmm. Um, so, <laughs> um, you know, that, that's kind of my take on that. Um, I but like, are there even jerseys that, you really like today today i usually think not one of the ones last year but i usually think denver has like beautiful jerseys in general um last year oh speaking of i i liked utah's jerseys in the 90s better than these ones the the the, pur- the purple and white mountain with like the mountain on it yeah, yeah, yeah that yeah. was cool um who had hot jerseys last year? I like Golden State. I like what they do with their alternates a lot. I like the City one uh, very much. Um, I saw the the Rockets are wearing. I didn't know this, but I guess the Rockets once wore jerseys that looked like the Sonics kind of, and that's going to be their City Edition jersey next season. So that'll be something to watch out for. I like that the Heat have never really had good jerseys. Um, to me, they're just bland as hell. The Miami Knights thing is like a little interesting, but I feel like the Heat should be cooler than they are as far as their look goes. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the Heat '90s. I mean, I wouldn't have bought a Heat jersey. Yes, uh, but like the Dan Marley, Jamal Mashburn with like the flaming. I like those. Yeah, they try to do other stuff sometimes. Sometimes it works. They could play up more tropical colors than what they do. I think. So, yeah, I think we've exhausted all the topics that we can for this night. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for episode 44. Asterisk, also the number worn by Mike Woodson after he was drafted by the Knicks. Traded after one season. Some things never change. Thanks, Patton. I hope you get some rest. And everyone out there, we will see you probably next week. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.